The following sermon is brought to you by thepreachersvault.com, bringing old-time preaching to a new generation. All right, Mark chapter 1, back uh, last week, I guess it was, we were kind of in the middle as we cut off, sort of kind of in the middle of discussing what was found in verses 13 and 14. And as I've kind of entitled that, verses 9 through 11 with a confirmation of Jesus. And then you get down to the challenge, verses 12 and 13. I just said 13 and 14 a while ago, but verses 12 and 13 are his challenge. And so that's what we were uh, talking about there in a, a little bit of detail nonetheless. Um, as we pick up tonight, we're just going to kind of go with a more practical side of that. Last week we illustrated some of that at least uh, by reading the text here, verses 12 and 13. Uh, for Mark chapter 1, it says this, And he was there in the wilderness, I'm sorry, verse 12, And immediately the Spirit driveth him, that is Jesus, into the wilderness. And he was there in the wilderness forty days, tempted of Satan, and was with the wild beast, and the angels ministered unto him. Of course, as we discussed in, in depth several different times, the best way to understand the book of Mark oftentimes is to take view of the parallel passages. And of course, if the chart was up here, or maybe you've got yours in the front of your Bible, the parallel passages that go along with this are Mark chapter, uh, I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11, as well as Luke chapter 4 verses 1 through 13. And so that's the two common passages that we took view of on last week. We started out by kind of reading both of those. We saw that there were just very slight variations between the two. For example, the order of the temptations that occurred there in Matthew were just a little bit reversed from what we found in the book of Mark. You having problems too? No, I'm trying to help you. You know what happened? What? It was lit up when I walked up here. But then when I turned it off and back on, it ain't done nothing. Are you good? Yeah, we nothing but blinking up there. All right, so anyway, back to where we were. Um, the two parallel passages, again, being discussed, that of Mark, Matthew chapter 1, verses, or chapter 4, verses 1 through 11, and also in Luke chapter 4, verses 1 through 13. So we took view of both of those, but let's go back for just a moment. Let's look again at Luke's account, because that is the one that we were kind of selecting to use as our major parallel here in this. Of course, the reason we're doing this is obvious, and that is because Mark gives such limited information. He only gives that small amount of information for us. And so going back to Luke, beginning in verse 1, or chapter 4 and verse 1, And Jesus, being full of the Holy Ghost, returned from Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, being forty days tempted of the devil. And in those days he, that is Jesus, did eat nothing. And then when they were ended, he afterward hungered, and the devil said unto him, If thou be the Son of God, command these stones to be made bread. Verse 4, And Jesus answered him, saying, It is written, That man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out 
of the mouth of God. Now, as we were kind of looking at that on last week at least, we were discussing a little bit about the differences between these three temptations and really the practicalities of them. Because as I've tried to address in each of the times that we've gotten together, each of the paragraphs, we're trying to look for three basic things. Number one, we're looking for the meaning of the text, which is to examine it, break it down, sometimes discuss some of the words, some of the phrases, whatever. We're looking for the man of the text, which that character is always going to be Jesus, regardless of what other characters may be involved in kind of a subset, more of a human set. Jesus is going to be the main character of those. Then we're going to be looking for the, ma the message of the text in every one of those cases as well. Now, as we go through that, there were some very practical points to this. I kind of broke that down last week in one of the charts to talk about both the challenges and also the comeback. The challenges being what Satan said, the comeback obviously being what Jesus gave back to him. And in every one of those cases, there was two differences, a main difference between the two. Number one, Satan, when he was speaking, what was he speaking from? In most cases, save one, he was speaking just from his own mind, I guess. He was speaking from his own will, his own desires, what he wanted to be the case that really honestly was not the case in, in every one of those situations. But Jesus, when he replied back, what was, here, what was his comebacks involved? Always scripture. And I think that's generally the emphasizing point that we make. We'll go past this a little bit later, but that is always the emphasizing point that we make and probably the main message, if you want to call it that principle, that we bring up at the end of any of these discussions. We say, well, then that establishes the fact that if you and I are ever tempted by Satan, and we will be, that the best way we can, can combat that is by coming back with Scripture. Now, what's one thing you have to do in order to come back with Scripture? What do you have to do ahead of all that? You've got to know it to begin with. Uh, whether it is you've memorized portions or parts of that or, or great or large parts of that, or at least you've got to have a basic understanding of Scripture, and it's best even if you have some way to locate those Scriptures. And I can remember years ago when I first got introduced to a digital format Bible. This was back, it was over 20 years ago, I guess. But I got all excited because my brother sat me down and he said, look, look what I've got. I've got this new Bible program, or it wasn't new then, but it was new to me. He said, it's called Logos, and all you got to do is you just punch in some words, and it tells you where that's at and gives you all these references and all these good things. And I thought, well, that's great. And so he gave me a copy of that, and I was excited about it, and I realized I couldn't find anything because you have to know what the verse says before you can look it up. You know, if you want to talk about the love of God and you want to find what we know as John 3, 16, you've got to have at least a few words to pull that out. You've got to have a basic understanding of that. And that's similar to the fact that the way that we can combat or come back at Satan himself. And so we looked at those three challenges, but this first of these challenges uh, that I really want to recognize with you to begin with, and I, it's unfortunate, I guess, that uh, I'm not able to share this particular screen with you anyway, uh, but these three things parallel, whether you're looking at Matthew's account, Luke's account, or even Mark's account, even though the details are not listed there, these three things parallel very closely and in order of that which is found in 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 to 17. And so that's kind of where we were leaving off last week putting those messages together. So leave you a marker right here. Remember, the only thing that we read thus far in the text of Luke 
is we basically said that he is tempting him. If you are the Son of God, command these stones to be made bread. Jesus' reply to that was, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Now look over in 1 John chapter 2, beginning in verse 15, and notice what the context says over there. We had these on the screen last week. It says this, For love not the world... Neither the things that are in the world. For if any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Now that's the way it orders these things out. And it, and, and it is not of the Father, but of the world. It goes on in verse 17 and says, For the world passeth away. And the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Now, it's kind of some establishment here when he says to love not the world. Question, does that contradict a reference I made a moment ago? We didn't quote, but John 3, 16. For God so loved the what? World. Well, if God can love the world, why can't I? Well, it's two separate worlds. Uh, two separate parts of that world. You've got the world on the one hand, just the people, the population of the world in one case. Or you may have the world on one hand is listed in the beginning. In the beginning, God created the, you could translate it, worlds, heaven and the earth. Or you've got this world here listed in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 15, which speaks of the cosmos of iniquity. So he's telling us, don't love the evil of this world. And he illustrates that by saying that all that is available, is another way of translating that, in the world are these, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Now in Luke's account, Luke chapter 4, verses 1 through 13, those things parallel in direct order with what we have here in 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 to 17, particularly verse 16. Matthew's account, Matthew starts out with this, temptation to command these stones to be made bread. And then Matthew tells us that he went from that point that he carried him up into the pinnacle of the temple, tempted him there by showing him all the kingdoms of this world, and then that he carried him to another place, took him up on a high mountain, and in turn, uh, I'm sorry, I reversed that, but took him up into the, to the temple to ask him to cast himself down, took him up into a high mountain, and there was requesting of him that he could have all these things that were before you. But Lucy Camp parallels with this. So when we think about the lust of the flesh, and I, I'm terrible at, at writing or spellings, that's why I had a PowerPoint instead. But everybody else uses the board for something, so we'll try. This first temptation right here, the lust of the flesh. My mother's cringing right now. She knows I can't spell. The lust of the flesh, what does that have to do with? If it parallels directly with the temptation that if thou be the Son of God, command these stones to be made bread, in that parallel there, what is this tempting him to do? Fulfilling hungers. Fulfilling hungers. The, the, the main way that we see that, the main way I've understood that all my life. Satan looks at him as he's been, according to the three accounts put together, he's been in the wilderness, we know, for 40 days and 40 nights. He is being tempted of the devil. He is likewise, Matthew told us specifically, for he was hungered. And that, that's, that's, 
really not even, that's an understatement, you can assume. He was most likely at the point of death, not that I'm saying he was about to die, but if you take a, a human being at least, if he were only a human being and nothing more, nothing less, he would be nearing the point of death by that point. We mentioned that there were only two other people written or told about in Scripture, period, that had ever fasted for that long. We looked at some of those. I wasn't able to give you the reference. I missed one a couple weeks ago, but those are Moses did it in Exodus chapter 24 and verse 34 and verse 28. He also was recorded as having done it in Deuteronomy 9 and verse 9. I didn't give you that one. And then Elijah also in 1 Kings chapter 19 in verse 8, having done this, and then, of course, Jesus. That's the only three. Uh, no other person recorded in Scripture had fasted or been hungered for that long. And, of course, he's being tempted to change these stones to bread. So I would look at that from one perspective and say, well, there you go then. That's certainly, I don't know how Cliff does all this, the lust of the flesh. He's smaller than me or something. He don't hit that thing as often. That's, that's it. But if you look carefully at the temptation, you've got to keep turning back and forth for this, but if you look carefully there to the wording in Luke's account, notice the way he actually comes across with this. And the devil said unto him, I'm in verse 3, Luke chapter 4 and verse 3, And the devil said unto him, If thou be the Son of God, command these stones to be made bread. What's he really asking of our Lord? If you've got the power to do this, do it. And truthfully, and, and the direct quote from that, if you are actually the Son of God, command these stones to be made bread. Now this is where context matters. Because whether you're looking at Mark's account, Luke's account, or Matthew's account, any of the three, what happened right before Jesus went into the wilderness? Verse 9 through 11 marks his baptism, which was confirmation, that's your C, this way, which was confirmation by God, by God's vocalization of the fact that he was the Son of God. Because he said what? This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. That's what God said. Now, immediately, according to Mark's account, he goes into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil, and the first thing Satan says to him is, If you are the Son of God. Whose face is Satan spitting in? God's. He's spitting, in, in one sense, spitting directly in the face of God by making that his very first question, his very first accusation against him. As a matter of fact, one of the things that Satan does with this, and this is interesting to me at least, when you look into the Greek language, the, the Greek language backing up the English that we have, if you look at the Greek word that is translated if, I-F, in Luke's account right here, if you look at that, it can often be translated as exactly what it is, if, but also it can be translated as since. This right here is what's called the first class conditional statement. So really what Satan is doing is looking at Jesus and saying to him, since you are said to be 
the Son of God, why don't you command these stones to be made bread? Why don't you do that? Now, how might I reply to that? Or how might you reply to that? I, I, I'm just imagining if I had been in his shoes or similar shoes to his, I would have probably said, well, that's it now. You're not going to challenge my Godhead, my deity. I will show you right now, without question, I am the Son of God. Watch these stones. See me eat. He doesn't do it. Yes, sir. Correct me if I'm wrong, but it's parallel in Genesis 3. Because he does the exact same thing with Eve. And the implication is, it is in, in, in Jesus' case, if God loved you, you wouldn't be hungry. Yeah. And so, since you are the Son of God, go ahead and prove that and satiate your hunger. And he used the exact same tactic in Genesis with Eve saying, well, if God loved you, why is he going to withhold from you this one? Right, exactly. And in both cases, what you're talking about, Eve in the Garden of Eden, or of course Jesus here, the real question is this, do you actually believe him? And Eve knows either might be a God. Yeah. Interesting parallel. Very good parallel. But, but they're both being challenged through the lust of the flesh, is God who He says He's supposed to, He is? No, more than that, do you actually believe God when He says to do this or that, or do you actually believe God when He proclaimed that you were His Son? Yes, sir. It will, yes, and it bleeds into that one. And that's the thing about we'll see at the end of this. Many, in all of these cases, all three of these cases, these things blur somewhat. And that helps us that when we get down toward the end of it, uh, of, of studying these things, that we understand that all sin ultimately can go into the categories that's developing. Every one of them. Now, to illustrate this, when I consider the lust of the flesh that's listed right here, we're in 1 John 2 and verse 15, we're putting that up against... Luke's account, Luke chapter 4 and verse 3. That has to do with two things. Number one, it has to do with doing. And I'll show you why. And it also has to do with our passions. What do you think Jesus wanted or could have wanted more right there in that moment than anything in the entire world? A bite of bread. What do you think Jesus could have accomplished by turning those stones into bread. That's easy. He could, he could have ate. He could have fulfilled his momentary current passion by doing something. And so it doesn't matter what it is. What we're passionate about is generally connected directly to what we most need in the moment or what we most enjoy. But in this case, it was a legitimate need. Absolutely. That's right. Yeah. His, he's, it, it was 
Christ, but it wasn't. Well, well, we were talking about last week, which I don't think y'all would hear, not that this would have helped, but if Jesus had done what, Je had what Satan said in the moment, if he had turned those stones to be made bread, just to, throwing it out there, is that sinful? Because he would have been given into the temptation that Satan presented. Exactly. Nothing wrong with what he would have done physically, but because of the service that he would have given over to Satan, it would have been sinful for him then. Motivation. In that moment. His motivation, his reasoning behind it, what have you. And so in the illustration of this, the way this bores itself out then, is that our passions, some of them may be very well and good, but our passions can oftentimes carry us away from God. Jesus in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. I say the middle. It's really more toward the end. You get down to the middle to latter part of chapter 6. You get down around verses 24 and following. And Jesus makes this statement. He says, no man can serve two masters. Why is that, Jesus? Because he's either going to love the one and hate the other. He can't hold to both of them. Cannot serve, in the illustration there, cannot serve both God and mammon can't do it equally in matthew chapter 12 and verse 30 jesus uses this scripture and i'm just paraphrasing it to summarize it jesus said you're either with me or you're against me can't go both ways and so if satan had bowed down to this definitely physical god-given passion to eat in the moment because of how it was being offered to him, it would have become that of the lust of the flesh and in turn could have become even sin, we can suppose, for him. Now, what do we know about Jesus? How? Because he was tempted at all points, this is only one of them, like as we are, yet without sin. So that's the first level right here, the lust of the flesh. What's the next one coming up in John's account? Verse John 2 and verse 15. The lust of the what? Secondarily, the lust of the eyes. Alright? Let's go back. Uh, keep your finger there and here. Look in Luke chapter 4, beginning in verse 5. And the devil take him, taketh him up into a high mountain. In verse 5, I, I don't know if I said that. And showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said unto him, All this power I will give thee, and the glory of them, for it hath been delivered unto me, and to whomsoever I will I will give it. If thou therefore will worship me, all shall be thine. Paralleling to the lust of the eyes right here, what's he asking of Jesus? First of all, where is he wrong? CJ came, I know you know, because we talked about it forever last week. Satan is wrong because he doesn't have it. He, he claims to Jesus when he takes him up onto that mountain, and he looks out over all those kingdoms in a moment, quote, he tells him, he said, all these kingdoms, every bit of this is mine. Every bit of it is mine. Lie number one. Line number two, if that would have even been the case, he said, not only is it mine, I can give it to whoever I want to. Why can't he? It ain't his. You know, I, we're fooled by this, I guess, today on social media, sometimes, I guess, but 
I could, I could grab any of you up tomorrow morning, we'll wait till daylight, and I could take you to several neighborhoods around this area. Wouldn't have to go very far. You can find them in Oxford, find them in Talladega, whatever. You can find one of them not too far down this road here on the right. And I can ride you by a house and I can say, look at there. You like my house? You say, boy, that's a nice house. That's a big old house too. Yeah, it is, it is. We work hard to get that. I tell you what I'm going to do, I'm going to give it to you. And you get all excited. He said he's going to give me the house. And you pick up the phone, you call your wife, you call your kids, you call your aunt's uncle's brother, you say, look, we are about to hit it big. Jim Merle has a house down here on the end of us, uh, what is this, Ironington Road. It's a monster, and he said I could have it. Are you going to be disappointed? Because why? It ain't mine. I can't give it. But Satan tells him, you know, I've got all this. This is all mine. I'll give it to you if that's what you want. You can have it. But you've got one thing you have to do. Bow down. Jesus sees all this. Matter of fact, both Matthew and Luke's account make a point of saying that he saw all the kings of the world in a moment of time. Now I've read a few different scholars that claim that that not only included just the, the kingdoms that he saw, that he saw kingdoms of time. You know, throughout the years, different land masses have been ruled and reigned. They've been the kingdoms of different various governments or peoples. That, that makes no difference here or there. But he said, you can have all of it if you'll bow down to me. What does that have to do with Well, that has to do with having something. That's the easy one. Having something. And it has to do with our possessions. And I know I can't spell it, so I'll put a period right there. It has to do with what we have. One of the major things that you'll see many men fall to, and he could be guilty, I've been included in this, as a matter of fact, is the willingness or the desire to have something. How many people have you seen that will take jobs doing things that they know is not right, that they know is not approved of God because it pays good? Or maybe they'll work, they'll work for periods of time or during periods of time that they know is hurtful or harmful to their family, uh, could even be detrimental to their spiritual life or whatever. They'll give everything, all they have to something to work in order to have Something else. Possessions. Now the trick is Satan didn't have it. But who did? John had it. Well, it's just like in verse uh, 6. When Satan said, all this power will I give thee. What did Christ say? All power is, is given unto me, me in heaven and in earth. So Couldn't do that. Couldn't give him those possessions. If you want to. How would a lie be a temptation? In other words, in other there words, has to be some substance to it. If there wasn't any substance to it, it's not going to be a temptation. 
Well, Satan was in one sense, and this doesn't explain all that, but Satan was in one sense being said as being the God of this world. Now, how did he become the God of this world? The hearts of men gave that to him. Uh, it, it's the same way that, uh, and I don't have anything in my billfold. I couldn't, couldn't even try this. But he hasn't been given those kingdoms, but he does have the power because men gave it over to him. That's a pretty strong temptation to mm -hmm. say, you know what? Satan's done with this world and I've got power over it. gets to have it all. We would say have it without, have the cake and eat it too. Doesn't have to deal with it. Similar to the last one. Would have, would have backfired on us if more than anybody. doesn't have to have the end result that's promised for sure. All right, anything else? Because we ran out of time tonight. We piddle with a computer too much. All right, believe it or not, next week we will get back to these points of temptation. There's only one left, and then we'll look at the principles of triumph, and that's really going to be key because knowing or being aware that Jesus was able to overcome temptations such as these does nothing for us unless we understand how he did it and can, in some senses, use similar techniques ourselves. Thank you for your time.